Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Goldilocks Productions broadcasts universal cosmic frequencies that unlock, awaken, and expand the consciousness of our worldwide viewers and listeners. Goldilocks Productions presents Enlightening Conversations with Pam Silver Eagle. Welcome to The Perch, everyone, for another enlightening conversation that is here today to be filled with lots of nourishing, uh, nourishment as well. And for those of you who may be new, I am Pam Silver Eagle. And for those of you who have landed here with us on the live stream, thank you. And uh, I am delighted that you are here. For those who would join us at another time, of course, we know that uh, time, the energy is fluid. And so it is all good, no matter when and how many times you come back. We are grateful that you are here. And I am grateful that you are supporting my mission as well as this platform and... Before I get into introducing my very special guest today, I want to just kind of go over some some tidbits of the business of the platform. So uh, we have amazing ways to donate, and the donation of the, the energy exchange of love and gratitude is so deeply appreciated for uh, all of us here on Goldilocks Production, all the hosts. Uh, you know, we, we put a lot of loving energy uh, into what we offer. And I would highly recommend that you check out all the other host platforms as well, or we all offer something a little bit different. And so for options, if you feel to donate, you can do so. If you're watching YouTube exclusively, you can donate through the Super Chat and Super Stickers. And that's a fun way to kind of just pop up some, you know, the emojis and, again, show your gratitude for what I'm offering here and support. If you are also wanting to donate through Venmo, we now have a link that you can do that, which is really nice because you can do that even during the replay. And it is, you know, whenever you watch. So if you're going to offer a, a love offering through the Venmo, 
I, which we ask you to do is please specify, there's the link right there, thank you, Tiffany. Please specify uh, which show, which host you wish to your donation to go to. And again, we are so grateful for, you know, this helps us keep offering all the amazing things that we offer here on a daily basis. And with our, also with our special um, services, our, our healing circles, our message circles, uh, and the, um, the, uh, the classes as well. So without further ado, I'm excited to have one of my beautiful sisters, one of my soul sisters, Marika Van Donkersbude, who I uh, am, have had the pleasure of knowing, I don't know, Marika, how long has it been? Uh, about five years, six years? What's no, it's time? more than that. We met in 2013, actually. Sweet. Well, hello. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> Pleasure to be here, Pam. So good to see you. So good. Uh, Marika, for those of you who did not have a chance to read her bio, I will just start out by saying she is an amazing life coach with uh, such a passion for, as many of us who are the way showers, that uh, you know we we teach from our own personal journeys and and how that you know really put us onto our paths for how we are assisting the greater good and so Marika is originally a Dutch native and these days living way up on the uh, the northern area of Wisconsin so Marika I would like for you just to maybe for those who didn't read your bio just give us a little bit of information about you please. Wow. Well, thank you for that introduction already. So, yes, I'm a Dutch native. Um, I've been in the United States uh, since 2001. Um, I had an international upbringing, so I consider myself um, an earthling. Uh, I, I can, I, I'm not uh, rooted in any specific area. It's just uh, where the heart is, I guess. Uh, I can make my home. And right now that's in Wisconsin, and it has been so since 2001. Um, I met you, Pam, in Florida when my husband and I were there for a short stretch of three years, which, um, as probably will come forward in this conversation a little bit more later, is, you know, you follow the path that kind of unfolds in front of you and it brings you all the experiences and all the people that, um, are important for the next stretch, if you will. So I'm thankful that we had our time in St. Petersburg uh, for many reasons. I loved, loved, loved living in St. Petersburg. And I was sad that we had to leave, but I also understood as usual in hindsight that it was important for us to leave there to make our way back to Wisconsin and uh, to really uh, land in uh, a, a new phase of being in this lifetime uh, around being of service to others. And I think that's how I identify this chapter of my life. I feel that my graduation uh, into, say, um, I like to kind of draw a line where I feel that my experiences led up to the opening of myself to becoming the gift receiving the gift and then becoming the gift. And that happened through the experience of the death of my mother. So it was uh, a very interesting time for me and a very unpredictable time for me. I, I would not have chosen that time if it were all up to me what happens on my lifeline. My mother and I had a complicated relationship uh, during my 
younger years, especially as a teenager and as a young adult. And um, when she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer terminal, she um, her only wish really was to die at home. And she was 83 at the time. She was in the Netherlands, where all my siblings are as well. And it didn't seem like she would be able to stay at home until her dying day unless somebody would live with her. So the the process with pancreatic cancer can be brutal, very debilitating. So uh, we we knew that towards the end she would need 24-7 care. And for some reason, the calling came to me. And I fought it with everything I had because I it, it felt very uncomfortable uh, to think about being through that process for the first time in my life to be around someone who was dying and who was um, both uh, uh, close to me and 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 in that in that situation. So at first I fought it and I said, no, that's not my part. That's not my role. That's not me. I have five siblings. They're all in the Netherlands. I'm the only one that lives abroad. So, but it, as that happens, the son that I used as an excuse that I needed to be home for moved out. Uh, the <laughs> husband that I had the excuse of having to cook for, uh, he took a five month or so job in Florida. So uh, the path just opened up. And when I first introduced the idea to my mother, uh, I knew immediately that that was something that was going to be very important for the both of us. And um, with regards to the healing and and, um, reconciliation we needed in our relationship. And that has really brought me to the work. I was already working as a life coach, but then I became particularly interested in the dynamics of end of life and grief. It was really an experience that opened my eyes to so many ways and places where we as Westerners, if you will, Western cultures, both in the Netherlands and, and, uh, and in the U.S., have become so estranged of the natural process of dying, which we're all inevitably going to go through and we're all inevitably going to deal with with our loved ones. It's not something we can deny, but it's definitely something uh, where we can do a lot of work to increase the quality of that process here. So that's really what I dedicated myself to. And I came back after my mom's death, knowing that the the rest of my life, I would dedicate my work uh, towards the conversation around death and dying and creating a different experience for people uh, because it was such an incredible, incredibly beautiful experience for my mom and myself. So... That's my motivation. That's, That's yeah, it's yeah, beautiful. It's you know, and I can, and I can relate as many of our viewers that uh, we have these opportunities. And I often speak that, you know, so many of them, you wouldn't raise your hand, con- you know, consciously and go, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. And that at the soul level, we know that that's all part of the journey. And uh, as you said, things just kind of open up and as on a regular basis, know that I've been up here for about 14 months now in Pennsylvania, Northwestern PA, uh, caregiving for both of my parents. So, uh, you know, again, I when I came up a year ago, December, certainly did not anticipate this would be my journey now. And and yet, you know, some of I already recognize what you said about there's a lot of reconciliation 
permit clearing that had to take place between me and both of my parents. And in addition to that, the, you know, yes, the honor of being to be here as the caregiver and yet uh, learning so much about self, more about self-love and self-worth, personal, important, healthy boundaries and all the things that come with that. And, you know, again, these are the things that we carry with us after we've experienced them, just like you've, you've, you've done, what you're doing is to, you know, to assist others. And um, it's, it's not an easy journey, but we recognize how, how really important and um, vital it is for sure. And I know that you, I don't know if you want to, you know, speak much to it, but what I was thinking of is I remember you sharing with me uh, and on the same topic as how we do, you know, end of life practices and living so forth here in um, certainly here in America and beyond that need to change. And I know that you wrote, if I think I'm saying this right, you actually wrote a curriculum. Is that is that right that you were that you had? That I, I wrote a book. Uh, I don't know if I'd call it a cur- curriculum. I would um, in the time that I worked in. St. Petersburg in Florida, um, the dynamics there in elder care are significantly different than what we know up north here. And that is to do with the demographics, obviously. So many people in Florida um, age and die there uh, as it has become their second home. So there are so many nursing communities and and assisted living communities there that I was introduced to um, the the way we care for elders and people at the end of life that doesn't make sense to me, mm-hmm. and it doesn't it didn't make sense to me from the perspective that these immaculate looking entrances in these nursing homes. Uh, which give you an idea that you're on a a river cruise or sea cruise. And you go into, you know, the the different levels of care. And it just, with every step, it just declines in quality. Uh, In a a really moving and... um, it's, it's It's really hurtful to see... As uh, as a as a humanity, as a country, uh, the the wealthiest country in the world, that our healthcare provisions for people, especially in that phase of life, are of such terrible quality. And I was really interested to know where what the problem is there. And of course, mm-hmm. like with many things, it's uh, it's it's the money in the pocket in the long in the in the end, you know, because most people who come into care to start with, and especially elder care, they come in with a calling, you know, at at every level. People go into nursing or whatever uh, in the medical system. They, They, some have a long stretch of learning to do before they can actually use a credential or call themselves something and have already really invested such a long time and so much money to become uh, a professional caregiver. But if we look at the lower levels, you know, and you look at the CNAs, for instance, um, in Florida, it's a 40 hour course to call yourself a CNA. And these people are, as a result, often not considered very worthy as people. 
You know, they are the people that do the most difficult work uh, where it comes to caregiving and they are the least medically trained um, and they do the, 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 say the, oh, what should I say? I want to be very respectful because I think they're beautiful people and they, they come to this work again with a calling and very often, you know, between two and four years, the majority of CNAs are out of it. They, they are overworked. They are overwhelmed. They are abused by the higher level personnel. And where for me, the, the problem there sits is that these are the people that are the hands-on caregivers that I was for my mother, that you are for your parents. It, you, they are the people that have the closest interpersonal relationship of all the people in the care community, the CNAs are the ones that know their patients, that know the moods of their patients, that should be able to signal when something is off or when something additional is needed for emotional care or spiritual care. And yet these are the people that are paid the least and pretty much worked to the point that they can't work any longer and they leave. And so this plan that I wrote was really looking at, you know, the, 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 the expression that a chain is only as strong as the weakest link. What is the weakest link? Is it the CNA or is it the treatment of the CNA? Is it how we look at these functioning human beings uh, that come in with a calling, with a big heart, because it's not an easy task to be a CNA, let me tell you. So this whole book kind of started at that point, like what do we need to do in the whole chain of command, if you will, in healthcare, where we can, what I call broad-based palliative care, which palliative care is not necessarily hospice care, as you probably know. Palliative care is caregiving, is comfort care, okay? So really what, what you do in the home situation when you advocate and care for an, uh, an aging parent Really, what you're giving them is palliative care. It's soft care. It's it's comfort. It's always looking after who's the person at the center of it, and how can I make this process um, of as high quality as possible for this person? And we do that because we love them. We do that because they are in our hearts, and we have a connection from the heart. But what I mean to say when I say CNAs go into elder care or nursing care whether that's elders or, or disabled or people in rehab, doesn't matter. They come in there from the heart. So if we would pay more attention to what these people go through and how we can make the quality of their work and of their experience better, we could utilize that layer as the, as the advocate really for mm -hmm. the patient and as the person who does pick up on a mood or does pick up on a spiritual need, you know, those kind of things, rather than having 25 people in their care that have to be at breakfast within two hours, which means, you know, personal care, um, dressing, toileting, the whole nine yards. So they get what, eight minutes per patient to get that work done. So the plan is really focused on, again, because I can talk about the plan for days. <laughs> so but I, I did really, it's, it's, a, it's a comprehensive plan that works through all the levels and all the different departments of nursing communities. And I have not been able to have a serious taker on that in the industry. 
and it's because of um, it's because of money. So it, it takes an investment to to make a lot of money. Uh, and I've proven that, too. I have the formulas that if you do this plan, if you take it bit by bit, you would in, in initially have to invest money because you have to pay people more and you need to hire more people to do this kind of work. But in the long run, it will lead to less litigation, which is their biggest concern. Oh, my goodness. Don't get the uh, don't get the lawyers in here. You know, everything needs yeah. to be covered for liability. And so I at that point to every person that I've talked to, and I've talked pretty high up in, in certain chains of, of care communities. Um, at that point, when you say you have to invest before you're going to make money, before you're going to see the return, it might take a couple of years. They're off the hook. They're gone. Well, and, you know, as you're you're speaking this, and I know that you're telling me about this book. I'm hearing feedback. Is that that mine? Let me turn my volume. I hear you clearly. Do you want me to wear wear a headset? No, you're good. I don't... uh, I, th- I just turned my volume down. That sounds better. Can you all? Can you still hear me good? Yeah. yeah. I hear you fine. Okay. okay. So what I was going to say is with, you know, when you were telling me about this, I could just feel it because, again, of my experiences. And, you know, before taking care of my parents, I actually ended up, I don't know if I mentioned this to you or not, but um, years ago, I would just move to Florida. So it's probably been about 30 years. I actually rescued, and I call it just that, my grandmother out of a facility in Naples, Florida. And literally, you know, was had to call the ambulance because I went to an administrator and I'd never did it. You know, I'd never dealt with anything like that before. My grandfather, he thought that, you know, they were just taking the best care of her. She was over medicated, tied to the bed when I got there. And I went in and finally somebody whispered in my ear because we went through several different administrators and, oh, no, nothing can do. You know, I was told, well, you have to get her out of here into the emergency room. I said, how do I do that? And I, I called the ambulance. And paramedics, when they arrived, I know that I can remember, I can still see the look on the, the one the one paramedic was a woman, her face, and she said she was just tired. I could feel her energy. She was sick and tired of that same scenario playing out time and time again. So, you know, I, I on a personal level, also very much understand, you know, be going into a facility like that and where you walk in and it's a present, nice presentation and then you, you you start walking into the halls and, and you're a whole lot of different things going on. And so, you know, we know in this time of, of these, these systems collapsing in this, in this great new golden age of enlightenment where things are coming into balance. I'm going to hold that vision with you because I know that that works that you did, uh, that you put together, you know, I hold the vision and I invite all the viewers, those who are watching now and those who will come from whatever time it is. If you uh, have an interest in uh, in connecting with uh, Ms. Marika here and all of her good works in regards to that, that book and uh, all that she has to offer, because, you know, these are the things too, that when we've, we've done them in the past and, and then, you know, and all the energy you put into uh, trying to find an investor and so forth, it just wasn't quite time. But I, I, you know, I can feel that that's some real, some real value. And as these systems collapse, you know, and we uh, start to uh, live our lives and create this um, civilization on a more heart-based, and I have, this is how we're doing things differently. So I see that uh, what you've created in the past and all of your wisdom and knowledge and experience, um, you know, that's I, 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 I feel that, that that's going to come. That's well, gonna block it, 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 it actually, you know, the, the research and the study and the, the conversations that were necessary to put that 
plan together, if you will, um, of course, have led, have been, uh, have helped me in a positive sense in a lot of areas of my work. So as an end of life doula, where I'm in the family, where I'm in the home, and I kind of become the death expert, if you will, um, for people who are in a situation where they don't know and where they are overtaken by fear of the unknown. What's this going to look like? What do we do? Uh, a lot of the principles that are in the plan, because they are based on person-centered care and not disease-centered care, so they're not based on clinical situations, they're based on who is the person at the heart of this event and what is important for them now. That is person-centered care. It's not about the illness. It's not about, it's not about anything except in the moment it's the question I ask every dying person, no matter where they are in the process, when I come in, the first point of action is to ask them, what's important for you today? What's on your mind? What do we need to pay attention to in this process for you? It's not about me. It's not about the family. It's about what's important for this particular person that the care circle is around or the unit or whatever you want to call it. So. In that way, also in my coaching, when I do individual coaching, um, you know, and, and that's actually why I was really interested to talk to you about this today, is that we have removed ourselves so far from the dynamics of end of life that it's become, we're fearful of the unknown. So 100, 150 years ago, death in the home was completely normal. You know, it wasn't until, what, 75 years ago, 75 to 100 years ago, that we started outsourcing death. And it, and it kind of makes sense because so many more of us actually die from long-term diseases. So, you know, back when they didn't know so much about um, illnesses, uh, people died of an infection or people died of pneumonia or people died of an injury. But, you know, now we have a myriad of possibilities and most of them do need call for medical care. So that gradually, you know, we took the people out of the home into hospitals. That is a, a part of the outsourcing. Um, people moving away from their uh, home states to places like Florida or Arizona or Texas so that they are away from family as they age and as they become ill or whatever, you know, they, they end up in, in communities where they can be cared for, but it's not their home. It becomes a home away from home if they're lucky, if they ever can have that feeling. But the outsourcing of what I call the final chapter of people's lives has caused that we, that we, we don't see what it really is. It becomes a clinical setting. It becomes a clinical event. And that's where I draw a really, really strong line and say, dying is not a medical event. We are all going to die. And a lot of people, the dying event, if you will, becomes so much more difficult because we view it as a medical event. And that's where you talked about when you said over-medicated over and over-treated you know, people die of mere exhaustion because it's in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out of a hospital and emergency rooms and ICUs. And, you know, it's like, where's the quality of life 
in keeping people medically alive. You know, so when we talk about the systems imploding, which is happening, yeah. and and I and you and I have talked about it. It's it's bound to happen. It needs to happen. And I am hoping that we will be, and I think kind of this COVID area, uh, this COVID era is kind of a contributor to that understanding of we need to go back to community service. We need to go back to a different way of human being where, where that also finds its place again, where, where we don't continue to outsource, but bring it back home. That's again person-centered care. You know, how do you make how do you make a situation in which someone is dying? How can you make that a comfortable place? Yeah. And it's so easy. You can't take away their illness, you know, you can't often take away their pain. But a lot of pain is also optional if you think about how the physical body really is an expression of mental, emotional, spiritual pain. Absolutely. And so in the coaching around that, I, I find it extremely helpful and um, effectful, if you will, to talk people away from their illness and to ha- allow them to believe that they're not dying of their illness. The, you know, and, that, and that's when we come into holistic care, holistic understanding of who we are. So there's so much to say about that. I don't want to ramble. I want to kind of stay on point. Yeah, it's not a ramble. It's, um, it, you know, I can, it, it's so nourishing because, you know, that to, if I if just, you know, you feel this, the soul as it's preparing to cross over. And of course, so many different people with so many different beliefs and what the afterlife is, you know, what's next, um, how, how big of a difference it can make if we are, you know, uh, holding people in in an environment that is loving and nurturing and not so sterile, you know, not so sterile. And um, to, like you said, to even provide the coaching of um, helping ones to be more at peace and to just, it's such a great gift, such a great gift. But we all have it. It's just that we're estranged from it. That's the sad part. So the outsourcing of having death in the home has has caused this estrangement and the fear, because what we don't know, we fear. That's a a human way of being. So. Yeah, I mean, that's just it. That's just it. So I don't I don't call myself, but I feel sometimes that people see me as an authority, you know, like a doctor death, if you will. Which is really weird, but it's funny because when I step into a household where someone is dying and I step into the household for the first time, you know, they've heard about me or they've, whatever way they've contacted me and I step in in the first time, there's kind of this like, oh, it's like, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to change the situation, but just the fact that somebody steps in who is not fearful and who, you know, I step in, I, I'm always calm around death. I mean, I've seen it all. I've seen it in every situation. And I'm convinced that by, um, by, by being in that space and holding space for that, mm-hmm. for everything that is in that space, 
uh, stepping into that, people immediately energetically feel like, oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be, you're somebody that knows what they're talking about when it comes, you know, and it's yeah. really a weird thing, but it's true. I love that. Yeah. And even if, you know, just even that presence, that energy, that that's the key, you know, to uh, what you said, of they can feel that, you know, they feel that love, they feel that peace, they feel that calm. And uh, that is that's such a, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's something you definitely don't find in the hospital. Definitely oh, no. not. No, no. You know, in the hospital or some some of these, you know, assisted living places and so forth. And so, what a it truly is a, a beautiful gift. Uh, being the light, being the love, the peace. Uh, yes, I love it. So you. Uh, and we we titled today the, our uh, our share the purpose of dying death and grief in becoming. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's talk about that. Yeah, we should. So um, it's kind of interesting. I call myself a life coach, and that is with purpose, because when I um, when I profiled myself as a grief coach or end of life coach, nobody comes to me. So because, you know, it's just such a high threshold, people are like, no, 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 we're not going there. The Dr. Death. <laughs> exactly. But the, but the interesting thing is when I put myself out there as a life coach, people come to me and they all talk about grief. The majority of people talk about grief. And, what it, what, and that's helpful to me because what I can point out to them then is we all grieve. We all grieve. Life is a chain of events of winning and losing. We lose. We go through so much loss that we don't connect to feelings of grief. Mm -hmm. And when people come to my practice for life coaching around, say, um, a divorce, they're, they're, you know, a, a younger family and there's a divorce and um, I'm talking to the woman and they are in such intense grief and they don't recognize grief other than with death. So when you, when, when they come to me with a life event or a life change, it could be a job loss, but something devastating. And they come to me and they explain all these emotions and I lay out, you know, these are the emotions of grief. You take your pick, take your pick. You know, it's the whole list that your, your experience grief and grief needs time and grief needs a place uh, and needs to be recognized and valued uh, in order for you to become. And I believe that every loss that we go through, if you want to see life as a balance bar and loss is on one side and winning is on the other, then it pretty much, you know, we just, we just balance. We balance ourselves through a lifetime of, of grievances and joys. And without one, you can't know the other to begin with. Um, but I also believe, what's that? Yeah, I would say the contrast for sure, as with yes. everything, you know. And, yeah. I, and I think that we are in a daily becoming. If you look back over your timeline and you look at, you know, what you considered big events, whether they're good or bad, you know, they, they always propel you to the next becoming. And the majority of people that I know that look back and say, well, I had a, I had a big loss, say 10 years ago, 
that was devastating. That's what happened to me. And and when I asked them, well, look at it critically and see what you are today that you wouldn't have been had that loss not happened for you. Let me give you a small example on that. My dad passed away at 60. Um, my mother was a widow for 25 years. She almost, she died at 84. Yeah, no, exactly. She was 59 when my dad passed and 84 when she passed. When, so my mother was a typical woman of her era. She was a mom. She was a homemaker. She raised six children and she kind of lived. She lived kind of in the shadow of my dad. Not that she was ever like subservient to him. Don't get me wrong. She had a voice of her own, but she had her own departments. Right. And, and there was a dad role and there was a mom role. And when dad passed away, I remember the day, um, I remember the moment when we watched the hearse leave home after they had picked him up and the devastation in my mother because she was completely lost. She was completely lost. She had lost her, she had lost her identity through the death of her husband. Mm-hmm. And my sister and I were uh, pretty close to her in the, in the time after um, and kind of, again, in hindsight, because in the moment I wasn't really mentally in that space at all of, okay, how does, you know, what's all going on here? Like I am now, like what's going on with you? Um, but looking back and we saw that mom blossomed, mom, be- mom became into her own gradually, but very clearly my mom would never have become the person she became had dad not left and given her two and a half decades to become. And that is my biggest and best example of her, her devastation leading to potentially being the full person she came to be, you know, and, and all the things that she did go through with my dad and her life, it definitely wasn't like they had a bad life together it all contributed to what she needed to be propelled onto, you know, the next thing. So from that perspective, I feel that all the things that happen to us, good and bad, all the people that come into our life, good and bad, what we consider good and bad, all contribute per day, per day to who we become in the next moment. So, you know, I don't know that, anything is ever devastating. I don't know that a death or a grief is ever devastating. Yes, in the moment, I get it. I totally get it. But if you can look at it from that perspective, that everything on this one timeline, right? And we believe that we will have many, right? So from that perspective, it's okay. You know, and and that's the key that you just said there. And when I said earlier about belief systems, because so many don't have that belief system. And so there is a lot of fear, you know, Um, and I I can um, totally relate to what you're saying. Again, I've been staying in this 55 plus community for 14 months now. And in addition to watching and talking with my my own mother and, you know, her idea, like you said, the whole identification of uh you know, they sh- my parents are high school sweethearts. And so they've, you know, been married 
50, what's it been now, 57 years or so. Um, and I, and we've, I've gotten to know a lot of the community members here. We have some really, uh, you know, close friends and it's very much the same in every household. And, and of course, well, I shouldn't say of course, but there are more widows here in this community than, uh, you know, widowers. And it's interesting. I've been doing some coaching, uh, you know, just casual coaching through the months. And that, like you said, that generation of women, they, you know, mo- so many of them, they went from their parents' home into a marriage and then became mothers. Many of them didn't have careers or some, you know, later in life. But with the case with my mom and some of our friends, uh, I have this conversation with them often. They, they identify as a couple. And really, you know, beyond that, um, never had an opportunity to get to know who they are at the soul level, you know? So I understand what you're saying as far as it, your mom was able to blossom uh, after your father crossed over because that identity of starting to discover, well, who am I be, beyond a daughter, beyond maybe a sibling, beyond an aunt, beyond, you know, a wife or partner, well, who am I? And that well, was- I, I, have, I have to tell you, though, Pam, that my mom never fully embraced the idea of who she is on a soul level. Not really, not, not the way we talk about it, but disregard. She could, she could see that living under the influence or being a child of her time, you know, how, how it suppressed her development into a full human being. So even if you keep it, you know, on, on that, in that dimension, if you will, People can recognize when they look back on their timeline how losses, things we grieve, contribute to who we become. Absolutely. And it's not just through death. It's it's a lot of women that are devastated in a divorce situation through coaching can understand how much was really wrong, if you will, within the relationship that would never have come to light had it not been through the shock of a separation. Yeah, the, the imbalances, right? That's, you don't, they don't know because it, you know, it's the norm and, and, and chances are with the law of attraction for many, the way they grew up, you know, and it was modeled to them. And then, you know, I know for myself, boy, I've had to do a lot of work on healing. And, you know, as I've expanded, um, getting really clear on, what does a healthy relationship mean to me? First, with self, right? That's has to be number one. And then how do I, you know, dropping old patterns that I didn't even, you know, know the verbiage or understand that that's the house I grew up in. And this is what was modeled to me. And this was the norm for me. And so as we go on then in our journey and we have different, all different types of relationships, if we're doing our inner work, the healing work and, you know, really um, discovering self, at the depths, then we start to go, oh, yeah, this is not serving me or anybody else. <laughs> and so right. That's a whole other. Right. And, and I think, you know, in this era that we live in, you know, since since computer information developed the way it did and, you know, how we I mean, look at us now. You're in Pennsylvania. I'm in Wisconsin. We're having a conversation like you're here. The only thing I can't do is hug you. But, uh-huh. otherwise, <laughs> you know, we're as close as we can be. Yeah, and right. so there's so much information available so that it this development from where our parents, uh, where our parents were at our age. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking sixties here. 
50s, 60s, when they were at our age, they didn't have all this at their disposal. They didn't have the information that we have at our fingertips. So that this development is kind of has gone and is still going at warp speed, you know, also contributes to um, the, the, the big difference between how our mothers and fathers were at our age due to the conditioning of their parents and grandparents, because really, like you said, the modeling is really what creates us. And from the day we're born, the conditioning begins because you're going to be treated like a little boy or like a little girl. And this belongs with a little boy, this belongs with a little girl. Um, You know, you're, you have a blue room or a pink room, you know, just, and that's, that's kind of extreme, but it really starts happening on the day we're born. So I already know that my, my nieces, because I'm not as lucky, lucky enough yet to be a grandmother, but my, my, uh, I think that's great great nephews and nieces are being viewed as completely different beings by their parents. Now, mm-hmm. I mean, my parents didn't even know that a child had such a thing as a psyche. <laughs> what do you mean? We have to pay attention to what children feel, you know? Right. And, and, and now it's all about what does my child feel? What am I feeding my child? You know, what am I literally, uh, yes. you know, physically and emotionally, what am I feeding? How am I modeling to my child that I not want him to be something, but that I see him as a full human being, as a full, respectable, worthy human being from the day they are born? I pay yeah. attention, you know? just feel the difference of that, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. I, and I spoke of this, I think it was last week and maybe the week before it's coming up often because this is what we know. Those of us who, you know, we, we know what we're co-creating, we're, we're consciously co-creating. I'll say it that way. As these, the old patriarchal um, model collapses in every way from, you know, family to our civilization and we become more imbalanced, the divine masculine and feminine. Uh, we, you know, we're already seeing it. I, I mentioned our friend Kaya Belcher last, oh, it was when Linda McLeod was on with me. So that was two weeks ago. That, you know, she's got a whole school, a, yeah. a whole community there that, yeah. that the, these souls are coming into these conscious parents. And the parents are able to hold them in the way that they are, you know, at the soul level so that they don't forget their intuitive gifts and their, their sacred gifts. And, you know, in these, these new ones coming in now are so connected to earth mother. They've got that more divine feminine, the compassion, the love. And so the stereotypes, the, those gender uh, roles, et cetera, are, you know, all going to fade away. I mean, it's happening now. It's not a, not a fast process, but you know, all of the woundedness that comes from, you know, both for the male and female of, of our past civilization from all the cultural stuff, uh, you know, uh, religious stuff, even it's all there. I mean, it's all the programming schools, all of it. I mean, I was, yep. you know, yeah. So yeah. And it, and it creates, it creates so much suffering because yes. we are, we are taught from the get go to resist and suffering really is nothing but resistance to what is resistance to what we are experiencing and thinking that we are the experience. So when you, when you teach a child that no matter what the experience they are going through, that it doesn't touch their worth. It doesn't touch their value. 
as, you know, in their truth. If you teach children that rather than how I have identified with a, ba a body that was too heavy, with with uh, hair that was stupid or with too many brothers or God knows what people have judgment about, mm -hmm. you know, that is that is where it starts, because I've resisted my body until I finally could understand that the, the resistance made me suffer. I'm born in a perfect body. I mean, I'm 60 years old and I don't take a single medication. And I hear mm -hmm. that that's pretty rare. You know, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, so, this, uh -huh. so my body temple works, you know, works perfect for me. And, and why, why, would I, why would I resist it just because society puts certain norms on it that, you know, it doesn't answer to? So loving that and, 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 see, and researching within yourself if you feel you're suffering mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, whatever, what am I resisting? Yes. Which part of, of, you know, as, as, as the being that is going through the experience in this body, in this physicality. And that's maybe a talk for a whole other day because that, that goes really deep into an understanding of what we allow, what we allow ourselves, how we allow ourselves on a physical plane to to suffer and and a lot of people do it's a hard hard life for many people and um and it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be yeah absolutely and and that's that is true there's uh that just you know i'm thinking of um so many of those who take their own lives and more than ever the youth now for because of judgment and those judgments come from a lot of different places that, you know, even some people hold sacred. Again, families, culture, religions, and they're so damaging that, you know, some of the words that you've just talked about is, you know, if we can just see, see or be taught that when we're very young, that, you know, we are all, you know, we are, there is no mistake. You know, we are all made of, from the great creator and, uh, there is no mistake and everyone is exactly as they're meant to be in this diverse world and all this. All I saw this, senses. I saw this awesome little video on YouTube. I think it was a couple of months ago of a young father with a toddler and the toddler was having a temper tantrum and I probably was one and a half years old or so. It was barely, I mean, it was walking, but not, you know, it was just still a really little kid. And it was having a temper tantrum. I mean, it was it was raging. It was so angry. And what the father did for about five minutes was sit on his haunches, eye level with the child, and just allowed him to be. And he was present with him. His arms were open. You know, he was just present and available to the child. But he completely, um, uh, what's the word? respected and 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 saw the child in its experience allowing the child to have the full experience rather than pulling it out of it you know and the child at some point just fell into the father's arms it was completely exhausted but he had never touched the child's experience as not being a valuable one or one that the child needed to have in that moment and I thought, really, for me, that was illustrative of exactly what we need to 
what we need to do to each other. You know, when, when, when you are, when you are so angry that you can't talk to me, why would I try to influence that in a way that you can talk to me? Why don't I allow you to go through that process so that it can actually move through you, be externalized through the expression so that you can come back to yourself and to me when you're more pleasant. <laughs> I think I, if, if it wasn't the same video, I saw a very similar one on YouTube and it is just, it's so precious and it, is. Um, it just, it made my heart smile. And you know, what a beautiful way to hold space for one another. And uh, you know, uh, you and I have, we, we, we met and we came together holding sacred space. And so uh, we'll just, we'll, give uh, a shout out to our experience together as we entered the prayer chaplain ministry at first unity of St. Petersburg. And, uh, that was, <laughs> there was such, such a passion of, of being of service myself that I'm, I'm sure for you as well. And for all of those who were in the ministry at that time, we had a really beautiful, powerful, uh, powerful in a good way, a good God way group that, uh, and you know this is a way how another way to hold sacred space that you're you know you're speaking of here um what a gift well, for me that was not only um i mean for me it was so valuable on so many levels to be in that group because i felt like a total newbie i mean there was so much new for me in connecting to others in that way and also to be what i learned there is to to hold space for others. I really learned that there because up until that point, I was really, you know, I, I, I wasn't really sure who I was. Mm -hmm. And, and I think in that group and with the teachers there was the first time that I understood that I am not who I thought I was, but that I am something much bigger and something much, um, more omnipresent, you know, so being in that space, that was my biggest learning and to, and to be able to do, to be able to hold space for others to also come to that reality. I think that was the most beautiful part of those three years there for me. Yeah. And I just wanted to honor and uh, mention, I know we were talking about before we went on the air, but uh, Marika created a beautiful annual remembrance service at the holidays every year and I was blessed to help her put the, the last one we did together and uh, it was so it's so beautiful and I, you know it speaks to the way that you hold sacred space uh, when for all these beautiful souls who you've been there for who you know crossing over and coaching the loved ones and you know all that's all the ways that you, you you hold space now and I perhaps you were holding space before you recognized it, maybe in a different way, but it sounds like, of course, with your, you know, even beyond your, your time with your mom and holding sacred space for her, you know, that was great training ground. But I, you know, in our souls, we've, we've all come in with this, you know, these passionate, compassionate hearts. And it is in that, as you mentioned, the, the loss and the grieving that those our heart chakras just open more and more and we re-remember oh you know this is more of my truth and it helps us to heal our own wounds and then hold to hold space for others you know that's mm -hmm. it's a well i still okay. think that in our churches overall uh, and also in the unity uh churches 
or the church, because the only unity church really that I know is St. Petersburg, because we don't have them up here. I've actually thought about becoming a unity minister and creating one here, uh, but I found a different path. Um, I, I, I feel that there could be more uh, attention towards understanding grief. Because, yes, we did those beautiful remembrance services, and I actually spearheaded then the group for, for loss. And I did a, um, you know, a weekly grief support group at the church, uh, which, which really should, stretch, should have stretched back then and should still stretch, because I don't think that much of that is still happening, uh, you know, should be a, a, a big service from the church to people because it's such a big thing in everybody's life. You know, we all deal with it. And if we can surrender to that, just being a part of our becoming. So coming back to our title that every loss and every, every uh, experience of grief is just a part of the becoming, you know? So, yeah. That flower blossoming, you know, that becoming so symbolized. I'm looking at the clock. We have about five minutes left. And um, is there anything else on this topic of today? Because I feel I would love, I'm inviting you. This is your official invitation. You know, not that you need one. I'd love to have you back on. We've got so much ground that we can cover. So another, another time, if you'd like to come back on, we'd love to have you. And uh, wonderful. So in the meantime for today, then um, would you, uh, you know, Marika and I had visioned years and years ago and her, her amazing husband, Kurt, who I got to know as well and uh, of uh, doing retreat work. And I, that was one of the other things that as the prayer chaplains, we had a prayer chaplain retreat every year and it, they were powerful. I mean, I had done retreats in edu- the world of education and so forth. But when you're doing them in, in the sacred way and the, the spirituality of it, those are powerful and it really lit my passion as I you know, became a, a prayer chaplain leader and, and one of the ones who was co-creating those uh, prayer, prayer chaplain retreats too. I knew that this would be my call, what I want to do. And I know we've talked about it and you've got a beautiful space. So I'd like you uh, to give you a minute here to mention the Cypress Center. Sure. So um, Kurt and I live on the northern edge of Wisconsin. We're on the on the shores of Lake Superior. Uh, we don't live on the shores, but the town is on the shores. We live about three and a half miles from the water. Um, and we live in a forest environment. And so it's very rural, very peaceful. And we have created um, a physical space for coaching work where we, um, I mean, the sky's the limit, really. Um, when they're, When we're not in a COVID time, which I hope will end sooner than later. Um, it's a great space for workshops, for classes, for support groups, for individual coaching. We have a beautiful treatment room where my husband does his Reiki and his intuitive work. And it's just a beautiful space. And we can sleep 10 people here. So we have a lot of lodging on the property, uh, which would you know make a really beautiful space for retreats. We've had several friends from Florida that have stayed here. We have a small cabin on the back of our property, which is really, really isolated, uh, where people have stayed for a silent, you know, personal silent retreat of a week or so and come out of that just completely rejuvenated and recharged. So there are so many possibilities. You know, the house is open. My website is under development, should be done in a couple of weeks. 
And so um, otherwise, people can always find me on um, mm. on Facebook or through my email. Uh, I'm, I'm available. If, if people want to talk individually, you know, the Zoom, the FaceTime, um, any kind of video chat works fine for me, as we can tell right now. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I'm open to any kind of format. I just love to do this work. I love to be there for people who, you know, if it's for a short chat or a longer chat, just the door is always open. And I hope the door, physical door to be open very soon as well. Yep, and I, I'm I'm envisioning it, and I'm excited about excited. being up there and offering my services and collaborating. With I would you. love that. Oh yeah, we talked about it years ago, and I feel it's coming. So, and I'm I'm gonna give a, a gratitude to um I think it's in that I can't quite see is it and now just gave a, a donation to sticker Linnell. Oh, okay, great. Linnell's with us. So she's a regular and such a great supporter. But before we uh, elapse our timeline here, again, we want to thank uh, Marika and Tiffany has put up the links. You can reach out to her in those ways, as well as please check out uh, my Pam Silver Eagle Facebook page to see what I'm offering currently. A lot of coaching as well and uh, just good energy vibes to uh, help you along your process. So you can find me there. And thanks again to all the viewers for uh, joining us whenever you join us. And again, we appreciate the donations. I appreciate the donations. And uh, you can do that after the live stream through the Venmo link, which will be up there as Tiffany is so good at putting it up. So I love you, my sister. And I'm Thank you. so grateful that you joined me. It's great Thanks to be to with you. Okay, everyone have a great week. And uh, you know, contact us, engage with us, and we'll We'll check back at the at the stream, and we can we want to answer questions or uh, whatever your input is. We appreciate that way of your participating. All right, thank Everyone you. Have a great week. Take good care. Bye bye. Become a Goldilocks Productions VIP patron. Receive exclusive access to live stream special and other epic packs. Join the Goldilocks Productions VIP community today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.